Part two of session 83 of the law of one. Let's get here into unintentional slavery. What could that be? Let's speculate. We're still on the topic of prevail conditions in the early octave of this universe, let's call it. And Don is very interested, of course, in knowing all the details that he can come up with that could help him understand a little bit more what third density postveil is about. So we have been exploring that in some details. Last time we talked about the seas and specifically venereal disease, which is something that Don uh, used as an example. And we got some pretty good information there. I believe now we're going into not only what this um, unintentional slavery is, which I think has uh, pretty good insights into our own psyche and what, we're, um, what we desire to approach in terms of consciousness within the positive path and because on the negative path it is not unintentional but intentional slavery uh, so we're going to begin with a couple of questions that are about before the veil and then we're going to talk about unintentional slavery so let's continue on with the question that i have left which is question eight in question eight, Don says, I just thought of an analogy while you were saying that, in that I fly an airplane and I have testing in a simulator. Mm. But this is not too much of a test since I know we are bolted to the ground and can get hurt. However, when we are actually flying and making the approach, landing, etc., in the airplane, even though it's the same, it is, I guess, a poor analogy with respect to what was happening before the veil. I know all of the conditions in both cases, and yet I cannot get too interested in the simulator work because I know that it's bolted to the ground. I see this as the entities prior to the veil, knowing they were, and he laughs, he chuckles, bolted to the creation, so to speak, or part of it. Is this a reasonable analogy? Ra says, this is quite reasonable, although it does not bear upon the function of the review of incarnation, but rather bears upon the experiential differences before and after veiling. Uh, it's a decent analogy, I would say, yes, in terms of, first of all, as Ra explains, the analogy is only in terms of the uh, experience of the entity rather than the review. Why? Because they were talking about review. So... Uh, if you remember from last video, beginning of this session, actually the end of last video, which was a um, conversation about what was the purpose of review between incarnations prior to the veil, and it shed some light into the purpose of uh, review and programming healing and all that stuff even after the veil because it's almost like the same thing but that's part of last week's video so go check it out if you didn't um 
yeah, the importance of review after you die, basically. So this is not about, this analogy does not touch on that, but on the experience itself. That's why Ra is saying, yes, it's a good analogy to talk about the experience right now, uh, or before, actually, before the veil. But it's not talking about the same thing we were talking about before. It's, in essence, what Ra is saying. Now, to expand a little bit more on Don's analogy, he, for those of you who don't know, Don was a pilot, so he flew, uh, I forget the Southways, South Airlines, something like that, uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Actually, in the 80s, he was still flying. I think in the 70s is when he started. I'm not sure. But he was a pilot, and he, he flew actual planes. So he also had simulators. The simulators, they gave the... Um, the same experience but you know that you're not uh, in danger let's say of when you're flying an actual plane so it's a pretty good analogy because prior to the veil they sort of knew that nothing could happen to them or others so there was no risk there was no fear of something that could happen <clears throat> they just knew that nothing could happen to anybody which funny enough is the mystical view of reality you know that nothing uh, nothing can can harm you and i think the a course in miracles uh, summarizes all of this it says we can summarize this course in just a couple of sentences which i forget but it's about nothing unreal can be uh can be harmed or something like that uh, the bhagavad gita is also saying this that nothing um nothing what does it say i need to have him as notes that which is never ceases to be that which is not never never comes into existence so yeah it's another way of saying the same thing as a course in miracles which is nothing nothing real can be threatened nothing unreal can be um, can hurt or something like that it's um, it's referring to to this reality what we think is real is not and it's not causing any harm um, i know this creates a lot of questions and wonderings about yeah but the children who suffer and the old people who are neglected and insert here any um dramatic view of the world which is is it has its purpose i'm not saying that it shouldn't that we shouldn't care about children old people sick people or anybody who needs attention i'm not saying that it's just that in the end don't worry people suffered they will wake up to that suffering and realize that there was no suffering it's just a part of experience and i know this goes into deeper and deeper levels which i'm not going to get into but that's the true essence of it you see you have to get invested in the idea you always have to get invested for all of these things to to become, uh, for the illusion to become real, inevitably you have to separate things. You have to. You see, you have to see the creation as a oh, poor animal that got eaten. You see, whereas you don't bother when your white cells consume other parts of your body that are a threat to it, you see? Or when certain, um, um, I think they're called macrophages, 
which are basically what eat up the dead cells in your body. Uh, we don't care about those, right? There's no dramatic um, depiction there. So we don't care. You just say, oh, it's just, just balance, organism. This is one me, you know, for me to maintain myself healthy, this needs to happen, you see? Um, and this is something that I defer with uh, some of the people, uh, although I know that mystics, you see, we, we have to make a concession when we talk about this. We always have to make a concession to the thinking mind that is invested in a separate individual. Why? Because there are two you. You see, there is the illusory you who feels that exists and needs to preserve itself. And there is a necessity for that to a degree, only for existence. But then there is the real you, which is uh, unaffected by everything. The real you. This is what we want to get in touch with on the mystic path. You see? That's why we, we have to always say this. We have to say that there are two yous. One is illusory and the other one is the real one. So we always have to make a concession when we talk about these to the illusory perception of a separate me who is affected, the ego self. Because the majority of the people are in a very strong identity with their separate self. So to, to make a concession, we sometimes say things as, yes, you know, there, there is a world that is affected and people are suffering and so on. This is a reality. I'm not denying its reality. All of this is real. But what I'm trying to point at is that, because I know you're on this path, inevitably at the end, at the core of the mystic, there is no, um, there is no fear. There is no true fear. You see, no fear is real in the presence of pure awareness. And that is the true reality. There is no, uh, there is no other way around it. There is no sugarcoating it. There is no, nothing else. Only concessions that we can make to the game that we play of separation, which most people are invested in. So that is our perception here, our post veil perception when we are unaware of the unconscious mind, which is what connects all of us. Carl Jung used to refer to this unconscious mind as the collective unconscious. We, we all derive our sense of self from it, but it's one thing, you see? So people use it as a, the hive mind, it's controlling everything. No, hive mind is controlling separate things. And it, at the same time, it's just one thing. But it, it always has a negative connotation. There is a queen. There is something that is dominating me. No, it's you. <laughs> That's the thing. You see, you have to see it from the separate self to see it as something is controlling me. God, divinity, some angels, demon, demonic entities, or the logos. It's always me and something else. As long as you have this, you will incur in this uh, suffering and this fear of something is happening to me. Dissolve that you and you will feel like, ah, oh, yes, everything is one organism. White cells, uh, uh, macrophages, whatever it is, they're all the same thing. 
and it's a continuous process it's not a dynamic process all right enough ranting let's go to the next question question nine don says now before the veil an entity would be aware that he was experiencing a disease as an example would you give me if you're aware of a case of a disease an entity might experience prior to the veil and how he would react to this and think about it and what effect it would have on him in a complete sense would you could you give me an example please uh, this question is very empty i mean this q a is very empty because ra says Inasmuch as the universe is composed of an infinite array of entities, there is also an infinity of response to stimulus. If you will observe your peoples, you will discover greatly variant responses to the same distortion towards disease. Consequently, we cannot answer your query with any hope of making any true statements, since the overgeneralizations required are too capacious or capacious. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but the root word I can smell it i can feel the scent of capacity coming from there and i think even in spanish we say capacioso i'm not sure about that either but it comes from um full uh, too um too abundant too much that's what capacious or capacious means uh, it contains too much there's overflowing right uh they're referring to the overgeneralizations are too big it's almost like saying how does someone perceive a river what <laughs> a river is a river and everybody perceives it differently some see it beautifully some see it with fear others with uh, uh i don't know geographical properties or whatever it is depending on the mind that it sees it so we cannot answer that question. That makes sense. I don't think he can say anything, but just to emphasize that all of us are looking at reality. The world is a neutral distortion of light. That's all it is. In fact, energy, we put it that way. Everything is energy. All you see is just a big blur of energy. If there was an entity who couldn't make sense of the energy and could just perceive energy moving, it wouldn't be able to see any anything but just random vibrations of energy. That's all the universe is. You see, but we have minds, we have brains that configure this energy into different patterns. And so we perceive those patterns and say, oh, I smell something or I taste something or I see, I hear, I touch, I sense, I feel, all these things are part of perceptions of one massive vibration which we call the universe and we call that world life and so on but everybody sees it differently the thing is that of course uh, we humans see it from the perspective of the brain and we all share a specific brain very particular most of us can agree with the patterns that we see in the world however if you um, were to ask if, if it was even possible somebody who is and I'm sorry to use this phrase mentally ill but that's the word that we use here in the West because uh, we like to say people are sick people have a problem so let's just use it because that's the word that we use somebody who is mentally ill or simply that it sees the world differently 
I don't think they would see a mountain the way you do it, or a person, or the clouds, and that's why they behave the way they do, because they interpret reality in a different way. See? You want to go a little bit deeper, then go into uh, animals. Animals see the same world that you see, but quite differently. You see? So, it's all about the mind, and the further away we go from human, ordinary human consciousness, then the weirder the world may look from, from those perspectives. Uh, respective to us, to us, you see. But if we get away from our own perspective, then we see that oh yeah, it's, you know, it's just there is no truth, there is no law, there is no reality to it. That's why Ross says the law is one. That's the only thing that we know. Yeah, everything is one. That's the only thing. There is a law. Anything else is just distortion, distortion of perception of the one energy that exists. Oh, I can see that I can take any question and elaborate it on my own uh, musings. So, let's move on. Question 10, Don says, Was there any uniformity or like functions of societies or social organizations prior to the veil? So now we're getting into the social structures of pre-veil uh, entities. Ross says, The third density is by its very fiber, a societal one. There are societies wherever there are entities conscious of the self and conscious of other selves and possess with intelligence adequate to process information indicating the benefits of communal blending of energies. The structures of society before as after veiling were various. So let me make an emphasis here. Couple of things that I just like to highlight. Ross says that, first of all, third density is a density in which there is a debilitation, at least post-veiling. Um, there is a debilitation of the body, so we rely on each other, as opposed to somehow become loners and independent creatures from one another. Um, which is funny because that's what's happening with the technological advancements that we're having. Um, but we still can't escape this necessity for other selves. We may just disguise it as an artificial intelligence or... Um, I was watching this channel, which I, I sometimes... Um, randomly, a video pops in my, my feed, and I say, eh, let me see what all the philosophers are thinking. And I heard this, which is... It, it would be interesting to see if this is the direction which people are going to, because... All we can hear about in 2023 is artificial intelligence, robots, and this fetish we have for recreating, creating uh, life, you see? We want to do that. I mean, what, <laughs> the reason why we want to create life is because we don't like the one we're seeing. So uh, the video, actually, this philosopher talks about the... Uh, he calls it a natural tendency of humans to become isolated because it's good. And he actually references uh, Zhuangzi, who is uh, the second most famous person historically in Taoism. So in the reference, he talks about how Zhuangzi talks about the... Uh, he sees two fish in, in a pond and they are... Uh, they're mutually helping each other because the, the pond is dry. And so they're 
breathing water into each other. And so Zhuangzi says, oh, you know, it's uh, it's better to have a, a river full of water so that fish don't have to depend on each other, right? There is a very deep uh, philosophical meaning there, especially within Taoism. But this philosopher interprets it as, um, yeah, it's better to be isolated from other people. You know, it's better to, it's not better, but he's, he doesn't say, uh, I'm putting words in his mouth, but he says that there is, you know, a necessity for that. And I agree, you know, um, there is a need for solitude. However, as humans, we cannot get away from people. Um, people are, as Ra describes, mirrors. And the best way to polarize oneself is through the interaction of other people. So this is why third density is the sign by its very nature. And I can guarantee you that any mystic who has gone into solitude had his share of interaction with people. That gave him enough catalyst to go into his or hers uh, journey for spiritual seeking. And we do need solitude. And I've talked about this in the past and I don't have to uh, elaborate on that again, but we need that. And But the third density is one that needs people. You have to have people, at least enough interaction for you to go into this inner journey. And the inner journey, the complete inner journey is the one that comes out again, not that stays there, you know, in a cave away from everybody, uh, which is not to say that it's wrong to stay in a cave, you see? <laughs> Please don't ever interpret my words as one way. Um, he's trying to cover as much as possible. But that's third density, and that's what Ra says by its very fiber is a societal one. And so the rest is just saying there, uh, there are societies uh, wherever there are conscious entities of the self. I love how he says this, or they say this. As long as there are entities conscious of the self or other selves, then uh, and possessive with intelligence adequate to process information, indicating the benefits of communal blending of energies, then there will be societies. Yes. As long as there is enough intelligence to see, oh, listen, we can help each other and create better structures for our lives, like a house, you know, or technology and so on. The structures of society before as after veiling were various. So Ra doesn't want to talk about all the details of societies back then, it seems. But let's see what else they say. Ra continues and says, however, the societies before veiling did not depend in any case upon the intentional enslavement of some of or for the benefit of others. This not being seen to be a possibility when all are seen as one. There was, however, the requisite amount of disharmony to produce various experiments in what you may call governmental or societal structures. So this is pretty interesting. We get into the topic of enslavement here, and slavery. Um, and the point is that before the veil, societies could not uh, intentionally enslave others. Because when you see that all is one, that's not possible. You can't do that. It's almost, it's as impossible as saying, ooh, I'm going to, uh, this hand is going to control this one. It's going to tell it what to do, you see? 
I'm telling it what to do. I'm manipulating it. It's my slave. What? <laughs> Who does that? Uh, I mean, they could have done it as a playful thing, as I am, right? I'm manipulating my mind. Who is this hand? Not this one. But who is the one that is manipulating? Oh, it's me. World one. It's all good. So that's not possible. Um, however, there was the uh, the requisite amount of disharmony. Right. So there was enough, enough or as little as needed bickering between them to create uh, or experiment with different types of governments and societal structures. Like how, what is the best way for us to enjoy this together? Oh, it's this way. No, no, it's this way. Oh, okay. So that's, that's just, it just seems very passive. <laughs> Everything seems so passive in this prevailing society. But yeah, that's the first thing to keep in mind. Prevail, it wasn't, there wasn't a possibility for enslaving other people, other selves. But let's move on. In question 11, uh, Don says, In our present illusion, we have undoubtedly lost sight of techniques of enslavement that are used since we are so far departed from the prevail experience. I am sure that many with service to others orientation are using techniques of enslavement, even though they are not aware these are techniques of enslavement simply because they have been involved over so long a period of time and we are so deep into the illusion. Is this not correct? And Ra says, this is incorrect. Hmm. Let's see why. Don says in question 12, then you say that there are no cases where those who are service to others oriented are using in any way techniques of enslavement that have grown as a result of the evolution of our societal structures? Is this what you mean? Ra says, it was our understanding that your query concerned conditions before the veiling. There was no unconscious slavery, as you call this condition, at that period. At the present space-time, the condition of well-meant and unintentional slavery are so numerous that it beggars our ability to enumerate them. <laughs> so here's the apparent confusion that you may have seen, and that's why I wanted to cover both questions at the same time, is that Don was talking initially about this, this condition. I don't know why, because I think, let's give credit to Don. He said, in our present illusion, we have undoubtedly lost sight of techniques of enslavement that are use. Meaning that we have so many of them that we have lost sight of all of them, right? Like it's just, it seems like a, a natural way of living. And I'll talk about this because boy, do we have examples, don't we? So Don, I think, let's, let's give him credit. I think he said in our present illusion, Right, but Ra thought they were talking, or he was talking about um, prior to the veil. They say it was our understanding that your query concerned conditions before the veiling. So see, Ra is not all powerful. You know, they make mistakes. They have oversights. See, ah, uh, Ra, you and your mistakes. Anyhow, 
So yeah, uh, in essence, what we're talking about here is we have a lot of ways to enslave people because after the veil, there was the vivid perception, the belief of separation, which led to saying, oh, well, you can be of benefit to me. And in my own uh, machinations in my mind, uh, is it machinations or machinations? Machination? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. In the own machinery of my mind, I can devise ways to manipulate you so you can benefit me. That's a sort of enslavement. You see, how can I use you to benefit me? That's the basic premise of it. It could be, um, you know, I give you these little unimportant things and persuade you that they are important. So you can say, oh yes, of course, what I have to do, I want more of this. Oh yeah, just, uh, just do this and that. And you see, you have somebody working for you because you're giving them uh, something that they may consider valuable. Does that sound like something familiar? <laughs> uh, there are other ways of enslavement, which is, oh, hello, I am uh, superior to you, and so you must do everything that I say, otherwise I'll kill you, because I have not only the weapons for it, but the mind for it, because a lot of people can't deal with you know, that aggressiveness, and they have to submit. Put it that way, I think that all slave people or people who have been slaves were too good uh, compared to their masters. And this, I think there's a very important topic here when Don says that this unintentional slavery, and I think we're going to talk more about this, aren't we? Yes, there's a little bit more up until question 15 or so. Um... So we'll explore that, but at least let me set the premise here, which is that in our behaviors, first there is the conscious slavery, which is, of course, he or she who decides to, who devises a plan for manipulating people. And then there is that manipulation, that structure, is put into place for other people to follow it as if it was normal. You see, that inevitably benefits somebody at the top of this pyramid. And this is the type of, type of pyramidal structure, societal structure that we have nowadays with the elite being at the top. Those are the ones that we can say are benefiting the most out of all of it. And Ra has described this as the negative path, which is hierarchical. Some people, they need to be conscious, of course, of what they're doing. They can climb this ladder or a pyramid to the point in which they feel that they are able to handle all of this manipulation and corruption and so on. But the important part is the unintentional slavery, because that is... For example, uh, we're so used to the idea that I am 18, 20 years old of age and society is telling me that I need to go into competitive jobs and to do uh, everything that is possible to uh, 
to climb this corporate ladder, right? And so the more I go into this, I, I get even more uh, greedy and I want more and I want to displace other people. You can see how this is painting a picture. I don't have to draw it so uh, raw and, and crude. But that, that is what's happening. That is an unintentional slavery in which we buy into the system and say, I have to compete with, with other people. I have to uh, dominate others and use them in the, the best way I can to give them as little as I can and get the most out of them. So that's why Ra says that, uh, what do they say? I love the way they said, at the present space-time, right now, this is 1981, of course, but we know that it continues to be part of our environment, the condition of well-meant and unintentional slavery are so numerous that it beggars our ability to enumerate them. This is the unintentional, unintentional slavery in which you are simply a cog in the system that is doing things for uh, without you knowing it. For example, uh, marketing, the, the dark side of marketing, of course, has this, you know, let me find the best way to manipulate people into buying my stuff, my product. Now, I have been involved in the, I, was, I could never get involved in what I call the negative side of marketing, but the positive one is very interesting. And a lot of, pe a lot of people who were in the, market of manipulation and have been reading the law of one actually have reached out to me and told me i made a shift i i couldn't continue working on that manipulation because i just saw the everything that the law of one explains here i saw it in my own work so i i decided to continue because all i am is marketing so now i do it from the heart which is fascinating because people are finding that there are ways in which to use marketing techniques from the heart. In essence, is saying, you have a problem, I have a solution. I won't create an illusory problem so you can buy my product. I will just make sure that you do have a problem before I can offer you my service. This is the part of marketing that is important because especially now, it is tainted with our collective consciousness. It is tainted with, are you trying to sell me something? Are you trying to, you're trying to deceive me? It's a fear that I understand that I have lived myself, but it's no longer an issue with, uh, with a lot of people, especially if you're in this uh, environment. Of course, there are gurus, uh, spiritual gurus who would take care, um, take advantage of this, but that's all up to the sermons. I can't, I can't point out to anyone in particular. That's up to the sermons. In any case, let's keep exploring this unintentional slavery. Question 13, Don says, Then for a service to others oriented entity at this time, meditation upon the nature of these little expected forms of slavery might be productive in polarization, I would think. Am I correct? Ra says, you're quite correct. This is a very important point. Because um, 
you may not be aware of the unintentional slavery. Now, I touch a lot of on marketing here and economical uh, slavery, which is actually the name of the 20th century, was uh, monetary slavery. That's basically what we switched because in the 19th century we said no more slavery to people. That seems uh, rather unfair. Let's just end that. No more slavery, at least on a big scale. I'm sure there is still a lot of human trafficking and slavery, which is, listen, it's part of the negative system. So be it. Um, all we can do is become aware of how brutally primitive this is. But anyhow, let's talk about other types of unintentional slavery, which is something that you may be involved in it. So you may have some meditation on it, or you may sit with it and wonder. Relationships is one great way of slavery. Um, again, the word may sound too harsh here, but bear with me because you ever had somebody who manipulates you because they can't let you go, right? Of course you have. So, or at least you have heard about this. This is true. I, I have been engaged in such relationships and I have, I have become aware of my own patterns that would try to manipulate. I was never a manipulator in that sense. I've been other things. <laughs> I'm not a saint. I'm not an angel. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, but not, not in that sense. I have done other things to manipulate. Not in a relationship. I was never dependent on it. But I did manipulate in other ways for, uh, for wanting, for getting what I wanted. Especially sex. Yeah, we men do that, don't we? Um, so I have my share of manipulation there. I can relate to that. Thank God I have something to relate to um, in different ways. So, yeah. There are these types of behaviors that we do, and it doesn't have to even be in a relationship, like a romantic relationship. It could be, you know, children. Um, we want to manipulate children to behave in a way that we want them to. All these things, it's just, look at it this way. So it's just simply uh, simpler than just thinking about slavery and so on. Think about it as accept, accepting what is and allowing it to be, right? That's a form of positive orientation. And that's why uh, it's appropriate to say that uh, Don said it, right? It increases polarization. It might be productive in polarization. Uh, one way or the other. I mean, you can become aware of all these manipulations and manipulate, use them for manipulation. And so increase your negative polarity or become aware of them and disengage from this type of behavior and of course just see it with everybody see how you may be thinking about the other person in a way to manipulate them to get them what you want i'm going to mention something very soft because i, I just got out of a customer service call and here's another one it's very minor but i just want to make you aware of the possibilities of simply becoming aware of how things are. Normally, people in customer service are treated 
like garbage. I know. People usually call because they're upset and they want to resolve something with a system or a, uh, an institute. And then there is a human being on the other side of the phone. And I know how annoying it could be to get into this customer service calls and the waiting times and the buttons you have to press. And now the AI or automated responsive things asking you, say whatever you want to be helped with. You say, agent, I want an agent, please. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to a human being so I can get angry and uh, discharge all my emotions. There's a human being on the other side. Who knows? You know, Some of them are outsourced to poorer countries where they have to deal with a couple of dollars a day as a wage in a very competitive environment. Like All of this is happening. The least you can do Instead of just using them for what you want, the least you can do is be grateful. I know you may be upset, you may be angry because, you know, your your item didn't arrive on time or you were charged twice or whatever it may be the case. First world problems, right? But don't take it upon them, you know? Just, uh, just see that there's a human on the other side and be grateful that they're doing this for you. So... That's another form. I wouldn't call it slavery, but it's still a way to... You're a means to an end. You're just a cog in the system that I need to touch and manipulate. So it gives me my shipping and my money back and whatever it is. Just take a time. You know, be grateful and, and embody this other person. You know, see it as you, as yourself, in there. Uh, become grateful for it. That is a sort of example for how you can meditate on the way you behave towards other people it could be somebody at the store it could be somebody who you see at work all the time anybody that is up to you we cannot give you instructions on this but what i can do is move on to the next question question 14 and i think here's where we end the topic of slavery. Don says, I would say that a very high percentage of the laws and restrictions within what we call our legal system are of a nature of enslavement, of which I just spoke. Would you agree with this? Ooh, does Ra agree? Ra says, it is a necessary balance to the intention of law, which is to protect that the result would encompass an equal distortion towards imprisonment. Therefore, we may say that your supposition is correct. This is not to denigrate those who, in green and blue ray energies, sought to free a peaceful or a peaceable people. Wow, that's, that's a nice sentence. Sought to free a peaceable people from the bonds of chaos, but only to point out the inevitable consequences of codification of response, which does not recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. My God, this is packed with whew, so much. How do I begin to disentangle this? <laughs> all right, so Don is going very general and say, all right, so our legal system and governments are all corrupted, right? And they're all trying to enslave us. And Ra being Ra says, hold your horses. You know, not everything is like that. It is necessary that, obviously, to balance the intention of law, which is to protect, that would result in the opposite, which is imprisonment, 
right? That's a distortion of protection. You see, it's like, um, I love you so much that I need to restrict your freedom because, you know, uh, you may get lost there. I love you so much that I will have to become very jealous so as to you not talking to other women or men uh, or having relationships with them of any kind. That's because I love you so much, you see. I, I want to protect you by controlling you. See, that's the kind of reaction that happens here within the law. That's what's happening, see. Oh, you see, I have to protect you from yourself because you're doing all these crazy things in society. Obviously, our society is perfect. There is no flaws in our society. So you stealing food, well, that just means that, you know, you something wrong with you, not with the society. There's plenty of food. What, you need money for it? Well, that's your own problem, you know. Go find your money. Or whatever it is, it could be something crazy. You kill somebody, whoa. Let me tell you, that's imprisonment right there. There's no way around it. There's no reason. We have no reason. We don't try to mend what's happening. We just want a solution to it. We want protection. And that is what America is all about in a specific sense. The whole world is Americanized. But we we are known for that, and I admit it. I. I know that this is uh, and this is the reason why we have possibly the, one of the highest, if not the highest, population in prison in our own country. So it's a it's kind of weird situation, isn't it? Now you see, Ra is saying that this is not to denigrate those who, in green, blue ray energy, so from the heart and from honesty, they want to find a or free. I love this free a peaceable people from the bonds of chaos you see i want to protect you from this uh this bonds of chaos so for example um let's do an impalisade right an impalisade you grab a bunch of sticks put them around uh, territory and call it a village you see Unless you want to go beyond the pale, that's what that's what it means. Go beyond the pale, beyond the encirclement of sticks that we have, which protects us from the external environment, other tribes, animals, and so on. So we have our own village. So that's a good way to protect. But in there, we will try to control what's happening. So we'll have these laws and all these stratums and or strata, um, you see, so it's, um, there is a good intention into trying to protect people from bonds of chaos, um, but they're not trying to denigrate this, but only to point out the inevitable consequence of codification of response. You see, there is an, an inevitable consequence of the coding in which, um, the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. See, this codification, the consequences of the codification to protect, that's how I read it at least. This can be, I don't know how how else could be interpreted, but this is how I see it. Um, there is the, 
an inevitable consequence in trying to protect people that you're going to want to control them, not you, but the system will somehow, it would allow that possibility. Instead of the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. See, this is crucial for, um, I'm not, I have to say I'm not very well versed in the, the way that the Tao, or it might have been Confucianism, that suggested a, no, the Tao wouldn't be concerned with this, so it would be Confucianism, that showed the way that law was to be imparted. And there's a very important point. I just love Eastern philosophy. They were so, so beautifully um, explained, but not humanly um, capable, you see. <laughs> we still have that human issue that we are so ignorant of our true reality. But you see, in Chinese philosophy, and again, <clears throat> I may be mistaken, it might have been influenced by the Tao as well, um, because I can see it there, I can see the essence of the Tao in this depiction of the law. The law should never, never be written, otherwise it would be subject to interpretation. See what the problem is here? What is a lawyer? A lawyer is somebody who is trying to manipulate the interpretation of the law to get you out of jail or prison or whatever, out of trouble. Because the law was written, and so we follow it and say, uh, let's see, you match these patterns? Oh, well, you, you belong here. You don't match the patterns, oh, you're good to go. So. That's why we have outrages of people who are obviously guilty, if I can use that word, I hate it, but <laughs> it's, not, it's not useful in general, but in this case it is. Some people are guilty, they get out. Some people are, I know, you're all thinking of O.J. Simpson. <laughs> it's the biggest case. Uh, and then there are others who are innocent and they get dragged because they, they didn't have somebody who can, uh, circumnavigate this whole system of laws to prove that they are innocent. So that's the problem with interpreting the law. All right, at this point you may be saying, all right, Gabe, so what's, what's the way to impart law? I don't know, I don't know, because that's something that happens in the moment. See, Ross says, um, I have to read the whole thing. I don't want to read the whole thing. It's just the last part where they say, response which does not recognize, right? We don't recognize the uniqueness of each and every situation within your experience. Clear. See, if we don't recognize that, um, then we're liable to uh, just interpret the written law. So how do we do this? Well, in general, the way we should deal with this is somebody, usually should be wise people, right? That's what we would call judge. A judge should be somebody who is wise, not somebody who is so well versed in the written law, we're trying to get away from that, but somebody who is wise and can actually help the person who committed the offense, let's say. See, whether that be stealing food or killing somebody or raping someone, you see, we're too, uh, barbaric still in our society to say somebody who raped someone else should deserve the guillotine. And we don't say that now. We just want to put a nice injection in their arm or whatever it is. Some, we have some brutal sentences for these people. 
Am I in favor of all these things? Oh, please don't judge me that way. Uh, I'm just saying that they're, I think that's brutal. That's just not a way to deal with the situation. Um, I think more wisdom can be derived from these behaviors because all of those behaviors are uh, very complex, distorted attitudes that we have towards life. People who are, I don't know, interested in eating things that they shouldn't be eating you know they deserve help too it's the same kind of help so law the law should be something similar or at least it's more reasonable to want to deal with a, a society this way you see what happens if we were to deal in a different way with all these criminal uh, offenders we would know a lot more about the human psyche and what's happening the more we learn the more we can avoid that in the future that's what we're supposed to do. Not to say, you're guilty, now you go in prison. But prisons are a way to make money. Shh, don't tell anybody that. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, my channel. Question 15. Don says, is the veil supposed to be what I would call semi-permeable? Ross says, the veil is indeed so. Don says, what techniques and methods of penetration of the veil were planned? And are there any others that have occurred other than those planned? Ra says, there were none planned by the first great experiment. As all experiments, this rested upon the nakedness of hypothesis. The outcome was unknown. So we're switching gears here and we're talking about the veil, uh, penetrating the veil. Let me give some context here. And also, see how far are we going to get? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Cover a couple more questions. That'll lead us to part three and final of session 83. Okay, so as I think we will explore here, or just refresh because we should know this by now, the veil of third density is a sort of curtain that exists, a veil, between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Namely, there is me, what I perceive to be this conscious mind, I am aware of my environment, there are things, there is a body, there are physical things, I have thoughts, all of this is the conscious mind. And then there is the unconscious mind, which is responsible for everything that bubbles up to the conscious mind. Simple as that, okay, it's the source of what we perceive and is vast, potentially infinite. Before the veil, no such division. Conscious mind and unconscious mind were in constant communication, period. After the veil, then we don't have communication with the unconscious mind. However, the veil is permeable. It means it has um, holes in it, let's say, or we can penetrate the veil and cause holes, the membrane. Uh, I think I would call it better a membrane. You see, there are membranes who are permeable, and depending on the, uh, is the word porosity? How porous, how many holes it has, and how big the holes are? That's permeability. Uh, just to share something very nerdy about my um, my decade-long work in pharmaceuticals, in the plant where I worked, um, we were concerned with filtering out human blood plasma. 
So we would take our specific proteins that exist in the blood plasma. So people donated blood, actually donated plasma. And that plasma was then suspended in a solution, which was filtered over and over again to subtract these proteins. So we needed to have centrifugation and filtration for this. And one of the cute little things that we did was something called Rogam. Rogam is the, um, the brand name for this, but maybe some of the women who are listening to this may recognize that there is a drug or injection, which um, if you have an RH negative and you're pregnant, RH negative uh, blood factor, and you have, you're pregnant, then you might lose your baby. So this injection is to avoid that to happen. Um, it's a beautiful uh, discovery decades ago. It's been here for a while. So I was actually working on this department towards the end of my career. And we had this very, very uh, specific, it's almost, almost like, um, I forget the, it's a microfilter, a very, very tiny pore, so tiny that viruses would actually get caught in it and only the specific proteins would filter in. That's how we made the sort of final product um, because we, yeah, in pharmaceuticals, we like to make sure there's nothing contaminating this. So, oh, I can talk about this for hours because I actually love this part of the process. It's just beautiful. The whole process was just beautiful. So yeah, well, you went through that process and that's that's a kind of, sort of membrane, you see, but we want something opposite to this. We don't want the microfiltering. We want a permeable membrane penetrating the veil so much that we can see clearly the unconscious mind. So opposite to what I was doing, how cool is that? <laughs> the end of my work used to be with the microfiltering, the most tiny little pores that existed. And now my job is to increase those pores, but within the mind. I love that. I never thought about this. So here you go. You're listening to this for the first time with me. Um, okay, so why am I saying all of this? <laughs> because the permeability of, of the mind. Funny enough, I have been talking about uh, people who have these, um, people who have visions and people who have connection with these other realms, um, all of this simply means that you have a more permeable membrane to not so much the unconscious, but to the whole reality. You see, I talked about in this episode how there is um, only one universe made out of energy, and it's our minds who perceive it. Please don't confuse this with the the veil that is for, I'm sorry if I'm doing this and I'm confusing you, but this is a totally different topic. Still using it as an analogy for the veil between the conscious and unconscious. But this veil or this membrane is concerned with perception. So somebody like me who is not very visual, um, who does not see things, I don't have a very permeable membrane into other realms and so on other people do and they see you know entities and they close their eyes and they're in the astral plane and all these things this is due to a specific mind see a different different configuration that has permeability that's what i call permeable mind 
and is able to see all these things. Uh, this doesn't make them superior or inferior. It doesn't make them, um, because in the past we used to call them inferior. Now with the new age, we call them superior. None of that nonsense, because that is not at all, at least in my books, it's not at all related to piercing the veil of forgetting. You're simply aware of things that others are not. Just like if you are good at mathematics, that doesn't make you superior or inferior. You're simply good at mathematics, physics, or anything else. Funny enough, the people who are visionaries and have these permeable minds to other realms and so on, they tend to be very bad at intellectual stuff. It's just a generalization. Please forgive me for generalizing. So yes, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the permeability of a veil that allows you to see more. And it could be that, of course, in any of intellectual or intuitive, they can be put to use, obviously, because it's the configuration of your mind, they could be put to use to penetrate the ultimate veil, which is the veil of forgetting. Okay, I expanded too much on that, and now we can go back to what Ra is saying. But that's what we were talking about. They were not planned by the first great experiment to penetrate this veil. Don is asking if there was any plans to penetrate this veil. Um, as all experiments just rested upon the nakedness of hypothesis, the outcome was unknown. We're going to talk more about this so fret not now um, yeah I think that's that's the long introduction that I wanted to make to this veil <laughs> um, but yeah what are the techniques and methods of penetration that were planned Ra says there were non plan and as all experiment this was just hypothesis let's see how it goes the outcome was unknown but something was discovered. Ross says, it was discovered experientially and empirically that there were as many ways to penetrate the veil as the imagination of mind-body-spirit complexes could provide. The desire of mind-body-spirit complexes to know that which was unknown drew to them the dreaming and the gradual opening to the seeker of all of the balancing mechanisms leading to adepthood and communication with teach learners which could pierce this veil. Let me make a pause here because we have more. But this is beautiful. So I'm just going to make you visualize what I see. Feel free to change it at your own discrimination. At the moment that the veil was implemented, there was um, the experience and the empirical um, result of this experience, right, was such that if we found that there were so many ways to penetrate the veil, because if we put not a veil but a armored, just to call it a word, that we cannot penetrate the veil, then obviously all is lost. Nothing is lost really, but it's just a failed experiment. Nothing could be experienced through that. It's gone, it's over. But because we drew a veil, which is semi-permeable, then we found that there, oh, look at all the ways that we can 
dissolve the illusion of separation. As we would expect, there are infinite ways in which we can do this. And I would dare to say that all of us are doing it in a very different way. However, we're all penetrating the same veil, so we can talk about that veil. And we're all touching the same essence, so we can talk about that essence. That's why we say in any mystical path that there is no one path. There is no one way to do this correctly. Everybody is their own experiment. So, um, we discovered that, okay, so we find that each mind-body-spirit complex could do it in a different way. The desire of them to know that which was unknown drew to them the dreaming and the gradual opening to the seeker of all the balancing mechanisms leading to adepthood. So this desire, see, this is the part, the desire to know that which was unknown. First, this is what I would call sometimes the waking, the waking call. You're not awake yet. You're being called to awakening. That's a much better phrase to call this process in which people get this calling, which is not awakening. I'm sorry, I'm very semantic and very structured in my words, so I like to keep things organized. So I would call, you see, for example, me, January, February, 2019, I didn't wake up. We say it colloquially. Yeah, I had, uh, I had my awakening happen. I had an awakening call. My awakening, I wouldn't say happened until 2021. And even, even there, it's sort of like a vague um, date because my process has been gradual, which is what the majority of people. Funny enough, we find the word gradual here because Ra says, to know that which was unknown drew to them the dreaming and the gradual opening to the seeker of all of the balancing mechanisms leading to adepthood. So you become aware of all this stuff, gradual. And communication with teach learners, which could pierce this veil. See, anybody who can speak about the reality that goes, that underlies the experience of separation, that could be your teacher. Simple as that. Could be a book, could be a sage, it could be your friend who is also studying about this. Uh, could be anybody. So that is the communication with, uh, with people that could help Pierce's veil. So far, so good. Let's read the next part of Ra's answer where they say the various unmanifested activities of the self were found to be productive in some degree of penetration of the veil. In general, we may say that by far the most vivid and even extravagant opportunities for the piercing of the veil are a result of the interaction of polarized entities. Remember when I said that third density is not meant to be isolated, like this philosopher uh, colleague who claims that in the future we would... I don't think I finished that story. Uh, he said that we are going towards a pretty helpful future technologically where we wouldn't even need a partner, somebody like a romantic relationship because we will be able to program our own AIs into satisfying those needs of companionship. Uh, that's where I see that this friend has a lack of uh, awareness that the reason why we seek companionship is because we subconsciously are looking for conflict interaction. 
dynamic. Conflict is not a problem. Conflict is just a way for me to wake up from my own BS, if you will. You see, so that's why we have relationships. It's not because they give us, they make us feel good. Yeah, that's the initial, that's the hook. You know, it makes me feel good because I find something in you that I don't have. But what is it? I want to have it. Oh, guess what? I have it. I'm just ignoring it because I like to project it on you. That's what relationships are. So you may not be able to do this with AI because you're programming it the way you want it to be. So it defeats the purpose. But that's how people are thinking nowadays. And like I said, you know, I'm no judge. I would like to see how this plays out. How is this... How is this interaction? Ask the Japanese how they're doing with this type of interaction. High suicide rates, Korea, South Korea is the same scenario. I mean, this isolation is proving to show how much we need each other. Um, some people take it to communities. Oh, we have to make a community and we all need to be together. Well, that may generate more conflict and that's great. You know, some people just say it as, Oh, yeah, my I, my suggestion is the human interaction that you have at this point is sufficient. You don't have to look for more. You don't have to go away from others. Just simply make your peace with everything and everybody who is around you. Trust me, life is going to keep testing you. All you need to do is continue to live your life the way you want it, and life would test you. But at least you're living the way you want it. So... Um, yeah, this interaction of polarized entities that Ra is talking about are by far the most vivid ones. See, the most vivid and even extravagant opportunities for piercing of the veil are a result of this interaction of polarized entities. So, as my my coach says, on have a think. <laughs> my my business coach tells me that I love I love her accent. Aussies, if you're there listening, I love your accent. Let's go to the final question so I can finish with a nice touch. Question 17, Don says, could you expand on what you mean by that interaction of polarized entities in piercing the veil? Ross says, we shall say two items of notes. The first is the extreme potential for polarization in the relationship of two polarized entities which have embarked upon the service to others path, or in some few cases, the service to self path. Secondly, we would know that we would know that effect which we have learned to call the doubling effect. Those of like mind which together seek shall far more surely find. Beautiful. So let's go back to relationships. We're just talking about this. Because Don just wanted to know a little bit more about this interaction of polarized entities. Well, there are two effects here, or two items of note, says Ra. The first one is the extreme potential for polarization in the relationship of two polarized entities, which have embarked upon the service to others' path. Or, in some cases, in some few cases, service to self-path. This is an important one. This doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but one that um, one that has honesty and a lot of dissolution of me into the other. And that is something that I can attest to in my limited experience, which is ongoing with Julie. 
because we have a same desire. And as I said this, I noticed that my recording says one, 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 one hour, 11 minutes, 11 seconds, which in your playtime should be longer because there is an introduction, some clips at the beginning or editing, very minor seconds that are taken out. But yes, um, <laughs> it's a nice synchronicity. It wasn't even an 11, 11, it's a 1, 11, 11. Um, but yeah, I have, I have this experience with Julie in which we have, together we have embarked on this, uh, this path together. Yeah, and it's been beautifully helpful individually, I have to say, to know more of myself. And this polarization is higher thanks to her and her polarization is higher thanks to me. It's, um, it's a beautiful journey. So that is, that is one thing because you're doing this together. And the way I can describe this to you in terms of if you have a, a partner or somebody who shares this path with you is that one of the most important things that we did together and continue to do, although it's already sort of present in our experience, but it was a test at the beginning, was to recognize that you never make me angry. You never make me upset. You are never the cause of my problems. Whatever I see in you that you are doing to me, and trust me, if you have lived with somebody, you know that they are the source of all your problems. <laughs> Aside from work, which is another one. But yeah, that's that's the thing. They're not the source of all your problems. That depends. Some some relationships are more conflicted than others. Uh, but we always find conflict in our relationships. So how do we deal with that? Well, you have to change first. But it was greatly increased in our case when we both recognized and said, no, you are not the cause of my problems or whatever problems I feel that you are causing to me are not real. They are my responsibility. And so as I liberate you into being whatever you want to be and whatever you want to do, I will face all of my issues. That is a very daring step. And I know we took it. People have been mistaking this in so many ways every time I talk about it because they project their own fears into allowing your other self to be the way they want to be. But I wouldn't have it other way. This has been the most liberating thing for me and for her. So that is one of the things that I can attest. There are so many ways that polarized entities can interact with each other. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a romantic one, but even uh, work-related. Uh, for example, A Course in Miracles uh, was channeled by, uh, I forgot her name, Helen, Helen, is she? Um, and this other guy helped her, and they had a very terrible relationship, you see, but kind of helped him. I, I forget the whole story, but I know they had a terrible relationship. It wasn't romantic, but it did help to alleviate some of their, their own distortions. Now, on the other hand, Ra's talking about of the potential that exists on the Dublin effect. If you don't remember this, this is when you are seeking in one direction and then the other person next to you is seeking in that same direction. Well, that increases um, metaphysically and physically, of course, the amount of energy that can be, can be put to use in that direction. 
that's a doubling effect. And if there's more, if there's three, four, 10, 100 million, yes, that increases tremendously. So a lot of people dream with that. I don't really care. I think we have enough within ourselves. We don't have to depend on other people. And that's all I have to say about this. Conclusions. Well, um, let's talk about polarization because we touch on the topic of slavery, unintentional, unintentional slavery, and how meditating on our behaviors, which I can summarize as simply analyzing, how am I behaving towards this or the other person? Is there anything that I am trying to use them in the way I talk, the way I convince them or anything, the way I deal with them, how I interact with them. So in the direction of manipulation, do I have any of that? If the answer is yes, then find a way to limit that behavior. If the answer is no, then try to push more the needle towards the other side, which is acceptance and appreciation, love. Like I said, the next person you call or talks to you because customer service, Tell them, thank you so much for what you do. I really appreciate it. I know what you go through. I have said this several times. Some people just say, basically, whatever, dude. <laughs> And that's fine. And other people say, wow, thank you. I, I, nobody says this to me. I appreciate it so much. It doesn't matter what they say. Don't feel good or bad about what they say. Just simply say it. And say it from the bottom of your heart. Uh, or anybody else, it could be anything. Uh, it could be family, it could be friends, it could be people you meet. Just whatever possible, you don't have to say it if it makes you feel uncomfortable, but just try to radiate that, you know, that gratefulness. It could be a smile, it could be anything. That gratitude needs to shine. That's pointing the needle in the other direction and you feel it first. Don't try to push it, don't try to do it because, oh, Gabe said it. And he reads the raw material, so he knows about polarization, I need to do this. <laughs> Just feel it within you first. Don't do it because some uh, unknown person on the internet says it. Uh, so polarization towards that. And the other polarization is what we were talking about here. Um, just notice that your interaction with other entities, they don't have to be on the same path as you. Um, but yeah, try to normalize that relationship with them, whatever it may be. Meditation is key for this because you can see your reactions, your emotional reactions to all of this. Thank me later in fourth density when you ascend and we have our light bodies and everything else that is supposed to happen, which I'm not very familiar with. I care about this human experience. I love this human form. So that's all I got to say. Thank you so much for listening. We have one more part to cover As usual, if you want to support me into these videos and the rest that I'm doing, consider joining me on Patreon. I would fully appreciate it. Links are in the description. I appreciate you. Take care of yourself. Be well. And I'll see you in part three and final, hopefully, of session 83.